Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Let's get into it. All right. Thank you, by the way, for um, allowing us to start 15 minutes later. I was quite sleepy this morning. Oh my goodness. Of course. I still can't believe you wake up at seven. No, I usually wake up at six for these, but um, I woke up at seven today and just sort of rolled into my closet slash recording studio. I was up late. You know what? I was up late watching these episodes that we're about to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We are talking about Ted Lasso season three, episode nine. Forgive my French, although I'm on a hot streak with Duolingo. 500 days streak. Whoa. French Duolingo. But here we go. Le Lacarum au Folle. I think it's based on La Cage au Folle, which is um, the birdcage, the, the, you know. Um, so. Is that what it means in French? Is the birdcage? Well, cage? no, it's they swapped locker room for, for cage. Oh. But you've seen that movie, The Birdcage, right? Mm-hmm. Of okay. course. Love it. Um, I could quote that movie quite a bit. Uh, anyway, um, so that's the name. And we've got a couple of interesting things here. I can already, I already can guess what you're going to want to talk about. But <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I, I like, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. But should I give a little background here really quickly? Yeah, of course. My favorite thing in the world. Okay, they're having it's a, it seems like the team is really gelling. They've they've sort of settled into um the new way of play. They're having fun with it. We sense a little uh tension between Colin and Isaac. At this point, we know that Isaac knows that Colin is gay. Um so there's a little tension there. I mean, it's so funny because they set it up to make us or make us think that Isaac doesn't like that Colin's gay, but like we've gotten to know Isaac so well over the years that like that can't be it, you know? So anyway, that, that unfolds. Um, but then eventually Colin comes out to the rest of the team in this episode. There's also like Jack is ghosting Keely and goes to Rebecca for mm-hmm. advice. And um, a couple of things with Nate and Jade in there. But I think the, the part that I'm assuming we're going to talk about is how um, Rebecca asked Roy to step in for ted during a press conference because he had to attend like a you know parent teacher conference over zoom and he didn't want to do it and then he asked he said he would he didn't want to do it but he said he would and then he pawned it off to beard and it was a disaster right and then rebecca's got some feedback for him (laughs) so um where would you like to start my friend Wait, I'm curious. What do you think I want to talk about in this episode? I think you want to talk about Rebecca giving him some tough love, some tough feedback. Because I, as I, as I yeah. heard that, yeah, I mean, um, I love, I love that side of Rebecca. I'm just like, yes, ma'am. yeah. And we were reminded, like, yeah, they're all friendly. And granted, look, this is a TV show. It's made for entertainment, and we are drawing the parallels to work. But we are reminded, like, oh, yeah, Rebecca's her boss, and or his boss, rather. And the fact that he was 
you know, we were reminded like, hey, hold on a second. This is a little bit of insubordination and not just that, but like rude. And no, I, I don't know. It, it, we were reminded that they are at work in this episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, yeah, he's going, he's being defiant just for the sake of being defiant because he doesn't want to do what Roy doesn't want to yeah. do. And to be clear, I'm not saying like everyone has to like, you know, oh my gosh, hierarchy, obey all everything your bosses tell you. No, this was like, he had a responsibility. Not only that, he, as part of a team, he should be able to cover for Ted. Right. It is like a responsibility to the team and sort of accountability to others. And so when Rebecca asked him, it, it wasn't really a favor. She was asking, she was asking him to do his job. She was asking him to play his part on the team. And yeah. he not only skirted his responsibilities, but he didn't even inform her of what the plan was going to be. He just wasn't being a team player. Yeah. And he cared more about how he was going to feel or his comfort rather than how the team would be represented. Because when Beard goes in there, they start getting into a fight about like, who's the best British guitar player of all time. And he's arguing with like, it's like the most random thing. And then they put Rebecca on the spot and she can't remember Eric Clapton's name. And it was just like, but that made her really angry. Yeah. Yeah. And she had to give him some, she had to give him some tough feedback. And I thought it was, I, you know, we, we talk about radical candor a lot and, and that it's that intersection of being very honest and being straightforward. It's telling people the truth with care, with and, care. Right. Yeah. It's caring personally. It's challenging directly. And that was radical candor in that moment. She was like, she told him, she was like, Roy, you have got to get out of your own way. Yeah. And I don't care that you're scared and that things are uncomfortable. Like you have to get out of your own way. And it was just, I just thought it was such a powerful moment on her. I mean, she's, she's going to win all the awards yeah. for the season again. There's just no way. She yeah. Won't. The feedback wasn't like, I can't believe you did this to us. I can't believe you did this to me. Or why didn't you obey my request? It was about like, Roy, you are getting in your own way. Like this is, this is not helping you. Um, and yes, it was like, you know, salty language, but they know each other so well that it was very clear she really cares about him. And yeah, she was angry, but she, she, it was coming from a place of feedback slash advice. Like, I care about you. If you don't fix this, like you are going to continue being miserable. This woe is me is getting tired. Yeah. And this is an example of paradoxical intent, right? So like what you're scared of happening in your life, if you don't, if you keep trying to avoid it, it's going to end up happening everywhere. So Roy is so scared of failure and he's so scared of rejection that he ends up just like staying away from anything that could possibly be uncomfortable, but it means that his relationships are falling. Maybe his job is going to fall apart. He leaves this team where he could actually have happiness and that falls apart. Like he is so afraid to confront himself that he lets everything fall apart in his path. And that's what she says to him. So I want to quote this because it's just so genius writing. It's like, she says, you're so convinced you don't deserve anything that you'd rather eat a bowl of shit soup and then complain about the portions. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, it was, it was so great. And yeah. I think, you know, it clicked for him there too. 
what I think was also interesting about this sort of um, Roy Rebecca thing is that we've gotten so used to Roy like bullying or scaring or intimidating using this, uh, his whatever calling card of a personality to get other people to do <laughs> stuff. And we're reminded like, oh yeah. And then Roy answers to someone else too. You know what I mean? And and we, we saw that a little bit earlier in the season when Ted was like, enough, you got to go squash this beef with, with Trent, you know, go figure it out because it's impacting the team. So we've seen this, like, these are the lessons that Roy needs to learn that it's like, maybe when you're on the team and you're the captain and you can yell at other players, but like, you're, you're responsible for, you're responsible for the whole team and the success and the, you know, you can't have, it's a, it's a little, this dr dramatic thing you've got going all the time. It's kind of hurting us from time to time. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you've had to put that sort of character in their place? I'm sure I was that character. Like, I, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you always think that about yourself, but Girl, I, you I, met me I after grew up like, a lot of work, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Okay, but I, well, maybe this is an assumption on my behalf. So like my experience is I grew up in the car business. So like basically, and this was a while ago. So like every general manager of a car dealership was a Roy Kent character mm -hmm. for most. That's stereotyping, but I've been in like 700 car dealerships. So that like that you kept meeting that character over and over again. So I had to learn how to flex that muscle, even though it was uncomfortable for me. I had to learn that like any gruff man is just like a tiny little baby on the inside. And as long as you step up to them, then they like turn into that tiny baby. Like, but so like my assumption is like a more direct, like a type three, like, like, you have, I would say like a stronger natural presence than somebody like me. So I would, this might be an assumption. So I want to hear your thoughts on it. Like my assumption would be, is that like doing that would be easier for someone that like, that is direct and that is like, you know, like just get your shit done kind yeah. of person. Well, I don't think you're that way anymore, but like, that's like who you've told me you've kind of like evolved yeah. from. I th it was those like sort of perfectionist tendencies, you know, seeking validation and approval. And so the, the big learning for me was when I either was on a team, like, you know, when you do a group project and you're like, never mind, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> Ever, you know, like, and like, look, I, I definitely was that kid too, but like, I did work with bozos in high school and college. So like, it's like, yeah, I had to like do the group project if we wanted an A, but people don't like that person. Cause like, fine. Or either you're like, fine, do it. I don't care. Or like, Hey, <laughs> you're like kind of being bossy here, you know? So in the workplace, whether I was part of a team or managing folks, the, that, perfectionist tendency, that fear of failure, right? That's what it was. Fear of failure, fear of people thinking I was not smart or not talented. This fear uh, made me like really controlling at times. And um, so whether I was like your peer, you'd find it be annoying because like people really saw me as competitive or a little too direct and people were like chill. But for me, I was, I was doing it from like, as a team, we got to look good. This whole thing we're all working on, but I didn't have the exact communication skills for mm. it to really come out that way. It always was like, I want to win, but really, mm. and I swear on, 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 on my heart of heart, it was never, 
people really always um, experienced me as being competitive, but it was like, we got to win. We got to do that. But it was never um, anyway. So I think I, over time, so I wasn't like yelling at people, but I do think, you know, <laughs> I think the perfectionist tendencies of like, okay, let's do it again. Let's clean it up. No, there's gotta be, but like that, that I, I had to soften that for sure to figure out what actually served the team and what didn't and where my fears were getting in the way of like our overall success. And okay. And and then what and this is what I'm curious about though because you and I are different in that in in that way right um, like but what would happen when you would run into an asshole or a jackass like how would you handle that situation did it come naturally to you or like in the yeah what was yeah it like? well here's the thing most assholes or jackasses in the in 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 the work world are passive aggressive in it right it's like. Mm -hmm. and um i have a pretty high like I, I can smell bullshit before other people that was the other thing too like i could tell who was the asshole and the jackass months and years before others did so everyone's like give him a shot i can't believe you're so mean i'm like they're a phony they don't do anything <laughs> they're they're dead weight you know but and people are like virginia you're so mean but and then like lo and behold like the story unfolded and like the person had never done anything um Oh, but they, but they had gotten promoted like a million times because they knew how to play this. System. Sure. Those are my favorite. Because they're nice and dressed cool or something. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and they're, and they're, and they're a dude. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but as I sort of like worked on myself and this stuff, I think you sort of have to figure out workarounds, you know, like, <sighs> how are we going to move this forward? This person is not going away, but can we give them something where they feel like they've been assigned something? They're part of the team, but they really can't fuck it up. You know, it's like, okay, this was not my story. This is not my story, but I've heard this story told by many of my friends that when either their mother or mother-in-law wanted to help with the wedding and they didn't really want them to help, they would assign them the one thing that they didn't care about. Like, yeah, why don't you take care of centerpieces? Because they did, let's say that, or like, you can pick out the tablecloths or whatever, like, but you have to sort of give them an assignment, because you know, it's really important to have them be part of the process. But you know, it's not going to mess up your overall execution and your vision. <laughs> right? And it's like a little hard. And if it messes up, it's harmless, you know, you're not going to be bothered. So you kind of have to figure that out. Um, but then if someone was directly an asshole, yeah, I mean, I, I could, I could, I, I can be petty at times, you know, like I could go, I, I, I can go toe to toe with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I figured. <laughs> yeah. I do. I do think I had like a different, I, like my experience. And I think whenever you, I don't know if your field was as insanely like, male dominated as the world that I, cause I grew up in the tire business. Right. So you, I don't know if you can get more male dominated than maybe in tech. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that's the right assumption either, but yeah, that was a really interesting lesson to learn is that I, I, I would have these, I would have, and I looked like I was 12 years old too. That didn't help me out, but I would have these like 
these big guys and they'd be like, you know, like in my face and like talking crap to me. And it wasn't until I realized like I like would step up and I would like do the Rebecca thing that I would like actually get their respect. And it was uncomfortable for me every single time. But then I started to realize like when they saw that, like I was a, like I was a better bitch than them, they would like, they would tone it yeah. down. Yeah. Right. It was like every time I was like, do you want to see me be a bad bitch? I'll be a bad bitch. Yeah. Like, and I was like, oh, like this, this sucks that this works, but y'all have like, this is like the only thing that you respond to. So I guess this is just going to be what it is going to be. If you are an asshole, I'm going to be a better bitch. Like that just is what it is. Yeah. It it's sad um, that, that it takes that level of communication for whatever reason, this sort of aggressive or combative, like at some point it, men were taught that this is like the way to communicate and it's a lose lose because then everyone's being an asshole, but also like, it's true. It's gendered. Men can get away with like, it's like, you're so strong and assertive. And it's like, you're a bitch. If you can, if you could say the same thing. <laughs> right. But, um, and we know that we've talked about this. You reminded me that in college I had a work study job and I worked at the football office, meaning like the football team's office with all the coaches talk about a male dominated place football coaches and other than other than yeah. the receptionist it was like me a work study and like my job was like this was before like pdfs and email or whatever like i had to forge their signatures on letters that they sent to to potential recruits in like indiana and ohio like do you, you know from coach whatever and i like <laughs> let me tell you like i had to be pleasant right cuz i'm a student and I'm working there and they're all my bosses, but I also couldn't be too pleasant because then they thought I was flirting and they'd start flirting. It was so uncomfortable or, but I couldn't be too mean because they'd be like, "Never mind, we're not going to give you work. You're icy. And it was like this tightrope walk all the time just to be left mm -hmm. alone, to be friendly, be seen as professional, to do my job. Um, but I was like, what, what tone, what tone do you want me to use? What words so that you... Don't think I'm flirting, but also don't think I'm mean. Like, it's so exhausting. God, no, I, I think every woman, and I have really, I know I say this all the time, but I hope the world is changing. Like, I hope young women can just go to their jobs and just be themselves in the future. Like, what a dream that would be to not have to like figure out the algorithm of, of exactly what you were just saying. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I remember how last season I like got so sick of talking about Nate. This one I'm like so sick. I'm so <laughs> sick of talking about Keely and Jack. Not because I don't like Keely. I love Keely, but like I don't know. I just this storyline I didn't love. But we finally, like, yeah. here we are in episode nine. Finally, we're going to hear the end. So it looks like we're finally gonna hear the last of Get out of here, Jack. You're so annoying. Yeah, it's like <laughs> And it's not even like she's like this big character that took up a lot of space. It was just like the space she took up was so annoyingly taken up. It's like, get out. We don't need you. You're not adding anything. I had a big epiphany, though, on this storyline, and I'm going to save it for the next okay. episode. But remind me to talk about it. I think I, I think that they were annoying us on purpose and I have, I sure hope so. I hope there was method to this madness. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. Um, yeah. 
those brilliant writers wouldn't do it on purpose. I have to give them grace on this. No, I know. Yeah. I also, um, we talked about how much we love Jade, her way of communicating, obviously, because English is not her first language, right? She's from Poland originally. So when she meets Rupert, she's like, it's worthwhile to meet you. Not, it's nice to meet you. She's like, it's <laughs> worthwhile to meet you. Yeah, she goes, he seems wealthy. <laughs> he seems wealthy and nice-like. Like, something similar to nice, you know? Um, And then she... <laughs> I mean, here's a wonderful little joke. She's like, Jade, yes, it's short for Jaded. My mom named me after my aunt, but I don't care. <laughs> um, you're like, you're reminded like, oh, yeah, well, this is entertainment. Like, you know, we, we get you and I get so wrapped up into this show. But then you're like, yeah, there's 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 comedians writing this, you know. They're just trying to make us chuckle. And it, it worked. worked. It worked. <laughs> Um. All right. So then we've got this Colin Isaac thing. I, I'm curious because in the last episode when um Keeley's sex video was leaked and, and the folks in the locker room, Isaac really wanted everyone to delete their photos and Colin didn't. And he confronted Colin in, in the hallway outside of the locker room. It was because Colin's photos were of men, not women. And he didn't he wasn't really ready to tell people he was gay or is gay rather. Um, and that's how Isaac finds out because he sees his phone and they're like not talking and there's tension. Um, and so in this episode, we see it sort of unfold a little bit more. Curious, did you um, think in the beginning that Isaac was like upset or feel felt weird around Colin? Because, you know, they've been best friends up and, you know, to this point. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on with him. Um, I thought they wrapped it up in a really beautiful way. But yeah, I thought he was just like, maybe like a little homophobic. And it was like catching him off guard. I thought that that's what was going on. I, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it to end the way that it ended. Yeah, I, I similar, like, I, I think they were trying really hard to set it up as if Isaac's homophobic. But I was like, mm, I don't know. Like, that feels really off for Isaac based on how we've gotten to know him. And I don't want to be like, and then I predicted, but I kind of was like, I bet you he's just like really hurt that Colin never told him. And that's, you know, we find out that that's, that's kind of what happens, but um, yeah, it was lovely. So just for the folk, like for the folks out there that haven't seen it, it's, it's, there's a fan who gets really angry in the stands and is just like yelling all these bad things at the team and then uses the F word, not F-U-C-K, but the other terrible F word uh, to refer to one of the uh, team members. And Isaac goes into the stands and confronts the fan. The fan gets escorted out, but Isaac also gets a red card and the team has to play down a player. And then it's like the, the the locker room is left to figure out what's going on, but everyone is is also commenting on like Isaac unable to control his anger. And what we find out is that he 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 was like no one should have to deal with that. He he felt this level of empathy for Colin, like going through this alone, having to hear these slurs and then have no one stick up for you. That it just like and he was really angry that like Colin didn't even feel comfortable telling him that he snapped and like felt the need to like defend Colin and others who have felt alone in these moments. So to your point here is very beautiful. 
And it brings it full circle as to what Roy has to end up talking at the press conference and answering this question as to like, what the hell happened with Isaac? Yeah. And before he goes to the press conference too, there's this really nice moment where he sits down with Isaac and he doesn't try to pry out of him what's going on. He just sits there with him and he, and he talks about the heart of the issue. He was like, you're angry and there's something going on and you have to get to the bottom yeah. of it. Like you've got to figure it out. Like, don't be like me. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then we see that again in the press conference where Roy basically, you know, the the bottom line of the message that he talks about is that you don't know what's going on with yeah. people. You don't know the whole story. And he also he also confronts the fact that like we can't just be saying just because you think these players on the field are there for your entertainment, they're still human beings. You shouldn't be able to just go say whatever you want to say. Like the bottom line is that words matter and you need to be intentional with yeah. it. For sure. I um it was also an interesting moment, right? Because this episode starts with like Rebecca getting being really upset with Roy for not doing his responsibility and shirking it just because it makes him uncomfortable and always hiding behind this anger. And so when he walks into that um, room and Isaac's like, please don't yell at me. I was like, see, Roy, like here you are and you're coming to support this guy. But the first thing people associate with you is that you're going to like yell at them. And I think mm -hmm. this was like a moment like he was like, nope, I'm not here to yell at you. And he's had some moments with Jamie like that, too. So I think in this season, Roy, in his own learnings about himself, is really being able to show up as a mentor for others based on sort of... He's stepping into his power. I know that that's cheesy, yeah. but like, it's like a lot of times when you hear people stepping into their power, it's like, it's, it's because it's like that story I just told of like figuring out how to be the baddest bitch. That's actually not power. That was a device. Like power would be a different part of my life when I figured out that I could be like my authentic goofy self and still like have be like have a voice inside of an organization yeah. like your power is whenever you get to your your actual self and not your facade so this is roy stepping into his power because he's letting the facade go that he has to be this big gruffy guy and he's actually teaching people a lesson about vulnerability and like how to be a good yeah. human um absolutely and then um while all while Roy and Isaac are having that conversation, you know, the, all the rest of the teams in the locker room trying to figure out what's going on with Isaac. And they're like, well, it, it must he must be so upset because Isaac must be gay. And they're like, oh, yeah, that must be it. But like, that's OK. We got his back. And then Colin's like, actually, I'm gay. And, and that kind of explains the story or whatever. And everyone's like, yeah, cool, man. We don't care. We don't care. That's awesome. And then I love what Ted. Well, first of all, Ted compares it to this story when he grew up in. <laughs> His friend was a Denver Broncos fan and Colin's like, did you just compare being gay to being a Denver Broncos fan? But um, he did. But the, but the story is quite lovely in that we don't care, but we do care. We care. We will support you. We will be there. It's not like we're going to leave you alone in these moments. Right. And I thought that was really important because especially on a team when folks tell you something that was really hard for them to tell you. And it could be anything like I'm struggling at home or this is really hard. It's not clicking or these are the things that are happening, you know, whatever that under the surface and, and different organizations 
like we talked about this last time or different about this like don't tell me your problems at home like and other people are like tell us everything and like and there's something in between but when that happens there's probably a sweet spot between like all right that's fine and like all right we support you we hear you like that must be hard at times tell us how we can help yeah definitely i had one of my friends started a, a job and she's got like these like awesome managers which i love those stories and people call me and they're like i joined this company i was skeptical but they're actually amazing and all the leaders are trained and they're great i'm like thank ugh, fine yeah. like i love those stories i like it's fine people want to call and tell me their horror stories because they know i can make funny videos out of that but i really i do prefer the stories of when people land in good spots because those stories need to be told just as much because it gives people hope that there are great organizations and there's great leaders. But she told this, she told her leader, just like in passing conversation, she was like, Hey, she was like, I, I I'm ADHD. So these are a couple things that might happen with me, but you can totally tell me if, if you ever see like a, B and C arise and her leader like paused. And she was like, listen, um, you can tell me anything. If there's anything that I need to do to do to accommodate you, let me know. But I'm like here to support you because I know that people are different. And like she like based, I mean, she would never do this, but she, uh, but like a normal person that has ADHD or is neurodiverse would start crying if somebody told them something like that because they've been living in a sure. world where they've had to mask. I mean, I can t- I can talk about this in personal experience, but it's like like you are you're like trying to hide everything about your brain so people don't think that you're different all day long so i think it's just like an example of like you can respond in that moment and be like i see you and it does i mean it doesn't matter you're just like everybody else but you're kind of not and that's like that also matters right right? yeah so there yes i think that's a great example of when it works well i worked at an organization um uh, you you turned me on to actualize leadership, but the, uh, an organization full of affirmers, right? That like really prioritize harmony, avoided conflict. And then sort of, you know, what happens there becomes dramatic. People do not talk about things head on. It becomes passive aggressive. But where what would happen is people were so friendly with each other that sure, people would be like, hey, I, I have a felt very com-. The, the beautiful part is that people felt very comfortable sharing But at some point, like what was happening as folks became managers is like they had compassion fatigue because Mm, people were sharing everything, everything that you're like, okay, well, is this actually going to like, what's the line that we need to like, well, at some point, like you still have a job to do. Like, I'm sorry, you didn't get to book that flight at the price you wanted. You know, like, I think it's, and I'm being, I'm exaggerating, but you know, it was like, a rain. It's not an excuse. Absolutely not. And yeah. it got really hard because the lack of like direct feedback or radical candor meant that it was always like, well, we have this job to do, but it was like, yeah, that's cool. You can take the afternoon off if that's what you want to do. I mean, it was just hard because no one, there was so much of a comfort of talking to your manager about what was happening outside of work that it almost became like if there was no boundaries. Yeah. And I think we're going to see that more and more um, as, as the workforce is evolving and mental health is losing its stigma. And I feel like everyone under the sun is suffering from anxiety after the pandemic. Right. So 
I think we're going to see that more and more. And then it, and then it's a hard line to toe of like, how do you not get compassion fatigue as a manager when like, and that when everyone's telling you about everything that's going on in their life and how do you tell them that the work still needs to get done? But I also see you as a person. Yeah. I think that this is going to be the sort of new, whatever chapter or section they add to manager training is how to navigate conversations when someone talks to you about their mental health. Cause I'm seeing this already, you know, I'm seeing like senior execs, like our partners at law firms, like, I don't know what to do when a junior associate tells me they're suffering from depression. It's like, and, and like, he's like, my knee jerk reaction is to eye roll, but I know that's what I'm not supposed to do. Like, but I mean, we all have depression working here. You know, it's like, kind of, I mean, it's funny, not, it's not, it's funny, not funny, but, um, yeah, I, th I think this is like something that to your point is going to happen more and more and folks are not prepared. Lead leaders mm -mm. Uh, of organizations and teams and people are not prepared as a whole, maybe a couple of shining stars and examples here and there, like you shared, but it's a skill people are going to have to build. And I, and I also think like, what is always coming back to like, what is the right amount to share so, because they need to know how to work with me? Yeah, definitely. And I would say that like, okay, it's like, what do you do? And we talked about this in the last episode. I, I always go back to go get education. Like if you are married to somebody who is suffering from anxiety or depression, or if you have someone on your team that has ADHD or anxiety or depression, go learn about it, right? Because the more that you learn, the more empathy that you can have, and it gives you, and it'll give you tools of how to deal with it. This is just an example, but like, like most, a lot of people with ADHD have time blindness. So like time just doesn't make sense. And for somebody who doesn't have that, it's a very foreign concept. You're like, what do you mean time doesn't make sense? And calendars are challenging, right? Like it doesn't mean that it's an excuse, but if you go learn about it, then you and that person can have a collaborative conversation of being like, I know that time is a different experience to you than other people's brains. Weird conversation, I know. But in that collaborative conversation, you can say, I'm giving you empathy. Now, how, what, what are the things that we can do together so that I can support you in that conversation? You don't have to have all the answers, but the more that you learn about it, the more that you can understand it and have empathy and then have that collaborative conversation. Cause you should never, as a leader, be, be like, be prescribing things to people on your team, right? Like that's not your job. Your job is to have the conversation and to problem solve solve together, not to tell somebody what to do. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the other thing is your responsibility is like at some point to get the work done, whatever that work is, right? There's always yeah. like a, someone's got a boss who's got a boss who's got a boss. There's expectations, there's deadlines, there's quotas, whatever it may be. And so, and I, I, I know this is not what you're saying. I think it's like, how, how can we together figure out the best system hear you on the time blindness, understand what that's like, must be really frustrating, but we need to put some systems in place because this thing, totally. this thing is still due every Wednesday or this thing is still due at the end of the day. Right. And yeah. because, um, and I don't, I don't know how to properly navigate that too. I think also where people are going to have to figure that out on, um, is in the interviewing process. I think that has not, really changed in forever. And so 
I think um, I have, I have a, I have a friend who's really thinking about all this about like um, being neurodivergent and navigating a career through like everything from interviewing to onboarding to et cetera. Um, We should bring him on at some point, but it's, it would, you can see where it'd be so easy to, without knowing, without knowing someone's neurodivergency unintentionally, but still actively rejecting them from the interview process because you're like oh they didn't do this or they didn't do that or like but you know with oh for sure and i don't think people are some companies do this really well but it's far few and far between i think for the most part people are it's not even on their radar no, no. and they and they dismiss it like i've and, and they dismiss it like oh people are just being too sensitive but okay and Last thing I'm going to say on this. So I think that with lots of leadership and organizational topics, and especially like these new clunky things that are happening in the workforce, it's really easy. So theory X, theory Y, theory X is that people are lazy. They only will do a job with carrots and sticks that like, like nobody's intrinsically motivated, right? Like that's, that's, that's one way of looking at people that unfortunately exists in a lot of organizations. Theory Y is that people want to do a good job. They want to like show up and be their best selves. They want to hit those deadlines. They want to do great work and they're intrinsically motivated. So I think that something to keep in mind is like when you're looking at all these situations, if you feel yourself going into theory X of, oh, people are just lazy, they're just looking for excuse, how can you shift that into theory Y and say instead, this person might be neurodivergent, they want to do a great job, right? Like that's where my mindset is at. So how do I help them fulfill what they want to do? Yeah. And and I, yeah, like, I just, I mean, that's e- a lot easier said than done, but like, that's when I'm like working with people, I, I I almost like hear those indications where I'm like, you just think people are lazy. Like, what if people weren't lazy? How could that change that conversation? Yeah. You know, two things came up to me when you were saying that, you know, um, going back to Roy's press conference when he's like, you never know what someone's going through. I, I One motto I would always tell myself is folks do not show up to work looking to sabotage themselves with the team. Right. And so mm-hmm. even if that's a great reframe, even if you're really frustrated by what's happening, you're like in their head, they are doing this because they think it's going to make them look good or help the team. And so, yes, we all bring our insecurities. Maybe we don't have enough. Inf- so maybe it's like a misinformation, miscommunication, like, Maybe like, I don't know, but you need to figure out like, again, assume good intentions and then try to figure it Mm -hmm. out together. But if you're always assuming that everyone's like terrible and you're the only great person, that's not going to go very well. The other place I see it, right? Because yes, I think this, this can really impact folks that are neurodivergent and, and when others don't know, right? And others don't know. But I also see it in general at organizations that are very competitive internally, or don't have a lot of transparency or just lack psych or just as an umbrella lack psychological safety let's just say that and the reason being when folks are really overworked they're like they always assume like everyone else is lazy i'm the only one putting in these hours meanwhile it's so funny because everyone is and yet it's so hard to believe that others are working as hard as you i always find that mm. so fascinating that like well if you're working this hard, what, what, 
what makes you think someone else isn't working this? Why do you think everyone else is so lazy? Why is it you're the only one wired this way? Um, that's, I've never thought of that before. Like the fundamental attribution error, right? Like if something, if something happens to me, then it's outside circumstances. But if it happens to somebody else, it's a personality flaw. I've never thought about that being related to working hard. Yeah. Like if, if things are super busy, it's because I'm the one that's working, but if things are super busy, it's because everybody else is lazy. Absolutely. Right. And, and the, the, what's it called? The fundamental, what remind me? attribution. Right. So the way I've always heard this example to like bring it to life is that if you're sitting in traffic and someone is speeding and like cutting through traffic or whatever, you're like, oh my God, reckless, dangerous, menace to society. They're terrible. They should be pulled over and arrested. But if you are like, oh shoot, I'm going to be late to pick up my kid. I'm going to just speed up a little bit and, you know, maybe like get around this person you are a good human, but meanwhile, you're doing the same thing, mm-hmm. right? So you, you yeah. like, basically you can always rationalize what you're doing from a good place and everyone else is evil <laughs> um, or, to, or not as smart or like does not have good motivation. But yes, in the workplace, I've seen that a lot. And that's usually the, the theme is um, those organizations often, you know, there's no clear feedback system, no mentorship, no way for people to know where do I stand in comparison to my peers. And so therefore, with, without knowing, the only thing I can do is work harder and hope you see me. But when everyone does that, right, because they're like, constantly like, um, they don't know, they don't, they don't know if they're working too much or too little. No one's giving them any feedback. So they just keep working harder, hoping that something eventually says, hey, you're working so much harder than your peers. But meanwhile, everyone's doing the same thing. And then the guy that's lazy that doesn't do any work, but the boss likes gets promoted anyways. (laughs) And I would say it depends on the industry. I would say in professional services, your billable hours are often the only thing they they measure. So, um, but yes. Okay. Well, in the rest of corporate America, that's generally what happens. Not all the time. Not, not being a theory X right now, but I have seen that happen in a handful of cases. And I'm like, what is going, what are y'all doing? That guy? That fucking guy? <laughs> I think it could save you from being on the chopping block if some, suddenly someone's like, but I like that guy and we go golfing together. Yeah. I think, you know, it could save you, but um, it's, it's a, it's a, as much as they don't say it, it's it's kind of a binary thing. Like, did you bill this much or not? You know, it's not it's not a perfect science. It's not always like that. But I think that's the only measurement tool they have. I'm not saying they always make decisions along that binary. To your point, they might keep people, you know, and have these case by case. But um, that's the only thing they can sort of do to eventually see how people are stacking up. Yeah, interesting. And then and then that's going to get into a whole nother problem, though, because then the people who build the most hours doesn't mean no, they're necessarily exactly. like the right. Exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, no. Anyways. It doesn't mean you're doing, it means you're working a lot. It doesn't mean you're doing, it doesn't necessarily translate to doing good work or the right work, but it just means you're working a lot. Yeah. We can go into a whole thing on this where like, comp- <laughs> I know I'm like, yep. companies love that sort of loyalty and work devotion and, and it's how it's being rattled now in this um, after pandemic. But all right. I think this is a good place to stop for, for our episode nine. 
and we'll be back next time uh episode 10 this is i i love the next episode because you know oh my god i'm so happy oh it's like finally they're giving us that good stuff yeah edwin okufu's back in the next episode and i just i (laughs) freaking love that guy so all right well thanks for thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you next time Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez, who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.